In this series, we've been looking at these letters from God, and he speaks to his church through the Apostle John, and he speaks to them some praise and some warning. See, there's some reality that every one of us is filled with what the Bible calls sin. Sin are things we do or think or we fail to do that actually cause harm to others and even cause harm to ourselves. And in every one of these letters, God speaks, you guys are doing something well, but you're failing in these areas or in this way. And he warns them to repent or to turn away from those areas of failure. To turn back to him and begin to do things the way he intended it to be done. In week one, they weren't loving their neighbors. Uh, In week two, they were afraid of pain and suffering. And so they were turning away from God, trying to please man and, and trying to live this life of balancing their fear and anxiety. And he says, look, stop being afraid. And trust me, last week somebody texted, what's the opposite of fear? And uh, I didn't know the answer. And then after church, somebody also texted, well, you should have looked at, I think it's 1 Timothy, where it says, uh, perfect love casts out all fear. Well, that's true. When we are centered in God's love, when we know his love for us and his love for others, we're able to overcome that fear. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean the fear goes away. It doesn't mean it disappears. But even in spite of that fear, we can continue to do what God has called us to do. And last week in this letter, we looked at the reality that the people of God were really content just being content. And and by, by that, what I mean is that they were really content saying, my truth is good for me and your truth is good for you. Like we can just kind of have this plurality of religious understandings, right? Whatever fits your worldview must be good. And Jesus warns me, he says, that is not true. I'm not just this religious buffet, this Burger King, where you can have it your way. I'm the King of Kings who actually says there is a way that is good. And one of the ways that we just want this religious buffet of kind of what feels good to us is the idea of saying, you know, Jesus tells me to come as I am, so that must mean I should stay as I am. And when we fail to see that Jesus is not just about bringing us in, but actually changing us at the core, and we're content to live as we've always lived because it feels good to us, he says, look, warning, you're missing out. See, here in this place, we believe you should come as you are. That means there's no obstacles to being here, no way you need to dress, no lifestyle you need to get together, no perfect behavior to fit in this place. But God loves you way too much to keep you that way. And he wants you to become who you were made to be. He wants you to become so much more than you've ever been in the past. And it's really good. So to honor God, to hear from his word through these letters, we turn from our ways and say, God, help me to be who you made me to be. In the way that I love, in the way that I care, in the way that I talk, even in the way that I think. And today we get into this fourth letter. And this one's pretty harsh. Right, like of all the ones Jesus says, he has some really tough things to say here. So let's look at it. It's in Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, beginning in uh, verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatria, write the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. 
If you remember in chapter 1, John the Apostle who experiences this vision, he describes the one who is sharing with him this vision. And he gives all of these really, really poetic descriptions. Like his eyes are like fire and his feet like burnished bronze. And for you and I, we're like, that's kind of weird and a little creepy. But it meant so much more. Because if you recall in the book of Daniel, as I, I shared, Daniel describes this one who will come, this ultimate authority, who will be the king over all kings, who will reign supreme on earth, who will be like these feet of, bronish, of, of uh, burnished bronze. This description, this metaphor that is given for Jesus is to help us understand who is the king of kings that is speaking. His eyes are like fire. Fire throughout scripture is used to refine, to purify, to make something right and clean and good. His eyes are like that fire. When they look upon you, they will change you. When you look into them, they will change you. Here's to this church in the city of Thyatira. This is the one who's speaking. The Son of God, with the authority over all the earth, whose eyes are like fire, who will change everything at your core. Now this city, uh, Thyatira, which by the way, I have no idea if I'm pronouncing that correctly, which is why it's different every time. Uh, if you read the Bible and don't know, just say it with confidence and people will believe you, okay? This, this city wasn't really known like some of the other ones were as a city that was highly religious. In fact, by and large, they were a fairly secular city. The cult that worshipped the emperor wasn't really predominant there. Most people there were pagan and didn't really practice a whole lot of religious practices, though they did have two different temples, one to Artemis and one to Apollo. As a whole, they were kind of known as this irreligious society. They just didn't really care. And this is the one to whom Jesus is writing. Verse 19, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. Jesus, he praises them. He says, look, I know all the things you've done. I know how well you've loved. I know how much you've believed. I know how much you've served. I even know how faithful you've been in times of difficulty. All the things the other churches were kind of failing at, she's like, I know how great you've done these things. So you'd think, oh, well done. All right, this church has it all together. This church has figured out how to finally be like Jesus said. They don't have any problems. Until Jesus continues speaking. I know how much you've loved other people, but in the name of love, you have forgotten some really important things. In the name of love, you've embraced some things that are really far from true. In the name of love, you've done things that do not fit with who I am. This is what Jesus has against them. He goes on, but I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Now, we don't know historically if this Jezebel being referenced here was actually a woman in the city or not. Or maybe she wasn't somebody who was actually trying to seduce them away into these false gods and other idols. Maybe this is just Jesus pointing us back to the Jezebel of the Old Testament. Anybody familiar with her? She was a terrible woman. Don't be like her, all right? 
See, this Jezebel in the book of 1 Kings was married to King Ahab, and she did all kinds of horrible things. Maybe you're familiar with the story of Elijah on the mountain, right, where he like, calls fire down from heaven and lights the altar on fire, and then he goes on this rampage and slaughters all the false prophets, and then he's afraid for his life, and he runs and he hides and he cries out to God, like, kill me now because I've done everything I can do. I'm all alone. And God's simple solution is take a nap, eat some food, it'll be okay. When you feel like your life is at your end, just remember, take a nap, eat some food, it'll be okay, all right? Jezebel was the one pursuing Elijah. Jezebel was the one who declared, he, this man of God, deserves to die. Jezebel taught the people of Israel all kinds of false idols, and she built all kinds of altars to worship these other gods and said, look, all of these gods are good. Believe whatever you want to believe. It doesn't matter. As long as you believe in something, it's okay. Not only this, there's a man named uh, Naboth. Maybe you're familiar with him. He had a vineyard, and King Ahab wanted this vineyard. He saw it was really nice. He's like, oh, I like that. I want it. And when, Na- when Naboth's like, no, I'm not going to sell it, he threw a temper tantrum and started crying. And Jezebel comes along and is like, why are you crying? Why are you so distressed? Why are you sad? It's like, I want that, but I can't have it. Is that your kids this Christmas time, right? Like, I want it, please, please, I'll do anything for it. And you know the moment they get it, they won't, right? He's throwing this fit, and Jezebel's like, I got you, I'll take care of this. So what does she do? She arranges two men to falsely accuse him of blasphemy. And blasphemy is a pretty serious thing, which is ironic that blasphemy would be serious in a culture that said all religions are good, right? Whatever you believe is fine. But blasphemy is serious enough to be stoned to death. And so this man is falsely accused of blasphemy and stoned to death. And Jezebel comes back to her husband's like, hey, you know that, that vineyard you wanted? Well, the dude's dead. You can have it now. Like she arranged for his murder just so she could get his land. This woman was terrible. Absolutely horrible. Jesus says to the church, I have this against you that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat foods sacrificed to idols. He says, look, I know that you guys, you tolerate what she taught, what she was all about. The way she lived, you think is okay, which is this idea that all religions are essentially the same. It doesn't matter who you worship or what you believe. As long as you're a pretty good person and you believe in something, it'll be okay. Has anybody ever heard a thought like that today in our culture? Or seeing the bumper stickers that say coexist. And I'm not talking about the ones that uh, say contradict, that have you know, the different types of guns spelling it out. But the ones that are coexist, that are like specifically spelling out like, oh, all faiths, we can just get along and tolerate one another. Anybody ever heard that Christians are really exclusive? Maybe narrow-minded and rude? Well, the rude part, I've seen that. I mean, guys, let's stop that, okay? But the exclusive and the narrow-minded comes from this cultural idea that says, it doesn't matter, there can't be one absolute truth. Whatever you believe to be God must be good. So as long as you have a higher power, or you're a generally pretty good person, or you believe whatever you want to believe, let's just get along and be nice. Now, I need to stop here and first say, there have been a lot of heinous and horrible things done in the name of Jesus. And things said about other cultures and other religions and other people that are not true and are simply said for the purpose of spreading fear. And if you've done that, stop it, all right? 
Like we don't endorse or celebrate any kind of hatred towards people who believe something different than we believe. But we do believe that we are different. Not all religions are the same. Not all gods lead to the same place. In fact, most of them are really, really bad. One of the things since 9-11 that has been popular in our culture is to say that Muslims are out to get us and to breed this fear that Muslims are our enemy. And I want you to know this first and foremost. I know a lot of really, really good Muslims who put Christians to shame because they love way better than we do. Most Muslims you will meet will never desire any kind of heinous, uh, terrible tragedy to happen to us or others. They are not our enemy. That does not mean that we serve the same God or have the same faith. Some will claim that Muslims and Jews and Christians were all the same because we all believe in the same God, this one God. And Allah is just a name for other, like a different, different language to describe the same God. That's not true. Throughout scripture, Jesus has revealed himself. God has revealed himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this three in one, this one who was in the beginning and is now and will be forever, as John said in chapter one. He's revealed himself with a very specific name. I am who I am. And we're not being exclusive to say that Jesus is the only way to God. We're not being selfish and rude saying everything else falls short. In fact, Jesus himself actually says this. In John chapter 14, verse 6 through 7, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. In Jesus and Jesus alone, we see God the Father. Only through him is there a way, is he the way to get to salvation? Seven different times in the Gospel of John, Jesus makes a statement like this, I am something. And every one of those is him describing himself as God. This name of God, I am, a name so holy and so revered amongst Jewish people, they will not even speak his name for fear of misspeaking it. This is Jesus. Now, most of us are probably not walking around believing that all religions are the same. So we can say, well, so what, Adam? What does this mean for me? I, I don't think that. But sometimes we think it in more subtle ways. See, sometimes believing that all religions are the same actually comes across in a different way where we diminish the uniqueness of Jesus. We take away just how special he is. And we do it by saying things like, well, my faith is private and personal. I don't need to share it with others. If you believe Jesus to be true, and you believe that he is the only way to salvation, how callous and mean are you and I when we refuse to share that with others? How hateful are we if we think apart from Jesus is damnation, but we're too kind and loving to tell people about Jesus? Have you ever thought about that? If we truly believe Jesus is unique and is unlike every other, 
If we truly believe his grace and his forgiveness and his kindness, that he would come as God to become a man, to suffer and die, if we actually believe this is who he is, why would we ever, in the name of kindness or love, not tell somebody about how much he loves them? It doesn't make any sense. See, to believe that all faiths are the same doesn't just look like coexist. Sometimes it looks like, well, you believe for you and I'll believe for me. We just won't talk about it because we know it's going to cause fights, right? And we know if I start talking about Jesus and telling you about him, well, there might be consequences. Like maybe I'll lose my job or you'll stop being my friend or all these other consequences. So we say really nice things like, well, just preach the gospel always and when necessary, use words. And what the goal of that statement is, is like, be a good person. Don't be a jerk. Let your life show what you believe. But if we only preach the gospel through our actions and we don't ever say anything, we're kind of falling into this issue of believing Jezebel, that it's all okay. They can believe what they believe and do what they do as long as we're a good, loving person. Jesus praises the church. He says, look, I know your love and your faith and your works. You're so good in these things. But there are some who are holding to these teachings that say, Jesus isn't ultimately all that different. He's pretty much one among many. You and I have an opportunity and a responsibility to share this unique and wonderful Jesus with others. And I don't mean Bible beat them, all right? And you know what I mean by that, right? Like, let me get the heaviest, thickest, biggest Bible I can find. And any chance I find to prove you wrong, I'm just going to hit you upside the head and say, Jesus says otherwise. Don't do that. Or, or what I call Jesus juking, right? Where you're talking about something that has nothing to do with Jesus and suddenly you make it about Jesus. Like, man, I love milkshakes. Milkshakes are great. You know what? I love milkshakes too. You know why? Because Jesus, he gave me milkshakes. What? Although I did get my son the other day to repeat me because he's in that stage where he repeats everything I say. And so I made breakfast on Thanksgiving morning and I made some bacon. And I said to my wife, I was like, you know, thanks to Jesus, we get bacon. It's true. Think about it. And my son all day long was like, thanks to Jesus, we get bacon. I was like, yes, I'm teaching him right. I don't mean this like, let me just take everything we say and make it about Jesus in this really weird and awkward and forced way. But like telling people about Jesus is supernatural. When somebody comes to you and is going through a tough time, you simply listen and love and then say, can I pray with you right now? Or when somebody's really having a hard day, you say, you know what? You're not alone. I'm here. Or, or maybe it's you're having a conversation with somebody who's just not sure they believe in God and you say, I've been there. I have a lot of questions too sometimes. Want to join me? And we can go have coffee with someone and talk about it or we can go to church and, and hear, what do we do with our questions? See, telling people about this specific Jesus isn't always forced. It can be really natural. And we're not being exclusive to say he's the only way. In fact, we're actually being really inclusive. There's this really cool story in uh, 1 Kings chapter 21. King Ahab, the, the husband of Jezebel, this terrible woman, he also did a lot of terrible things. In fact, this is what it says about him in chapter 21 of 1 Kings. There was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord like Ahab, whom Jezebel, his wife, incited. Right? 
This is God himself speaking. There is nobody as bad as this man who's done as much evil in my sight like Ahab. And right before this verse, God actually judges Ahab and Jezebel and gives some pretty terrible condemnation. It's like, your body will be eaten by dogs, your blood will run in the streets. I'm like, oh, sounds awesome, God, thank you. Ahab hears about this condemnation that's coming because of the way he's lived. He hears about this judgment that's coming. He hears this word from God. He repents. He puts on sackcloth. He's greatly distressed. He, he tears his clothes. He does all the things that were common in repentance. And here's what God does. It's kind of flashing here, so I'll turn around and look. Have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the disaster in his days, but in his son's days I will bring the disaster upon his house. See, God sees Ahab's repentance, says, I will spare you from this pain. It's still coming, but I'll spare you. God is not exclusive. He's not just for those who get it all together. He's not just for those who've been good enough. No, this Jesus, what makes him unique from every other faith, from every other religion, is that he isn't an inclusive God who's not just here for some, but here for all, especially those like Ahab who've been the worst of the worst. Just turn back to me and I will spare you. And I will give you this grace and this hope and this peace. In fact, in this chapter, in Revelation chapter 2, he gives this promise, but to the rest of you in Thyatria, who do not hold to this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. Jesus says, I'm not going to burden you with any great to-do list, with anything you've got to get right, with any other thing you've got to figure out. I'm just going to tell you this. Hold fast until I come. Believe in this promise until I come. Trust that I am unlike every other God, and I'm not angry and waiting to catch you doing wrong, but I am slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, that I am eager to forgive and longing to make it right, that I am here for you and not against you. Hold fast. For you and for me, there's this promise that comes afterwards. The one who conquers, who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And I will give him the morning star. A promise that comes from earlier in scripture where it says this star will come, this morning star who will bring justice and peace and make the whole world whole again. There's my son. He's baked. The promise for you and for me is that Jesus is not exclusive. He is the only way, but he's the only way for everybody. Not just those who get it right or figure it out or learn how to change their brokenness and hide it all behind a false face. No, he's there, the only God, the way for every person who desperately needs him. And you and I get to hold fast. And in this culture that wants to privatize our faith and say, don't talk to me about what you believe. That's between you and God. Let me believe what I believe. You believe what you believe. It's all okay. Let's coexist. We get to say something otherwise. 
I don't want to just coexist with you now. I want to coexist with you forever. For all of eternity, I want to walk with you. So let's talk about what we believe, not in judgment and anger and hate, but in love. Let's talk about why I believe Jesus is truly different and worth it all. And when you and I live this way, there's a really good promise. It'll be okay. It'll be okay. No matter what people say against us as closed-minded, narrow, bigoted people, if you're that, stop being that, right? But if they say these things that are not true, if they accuse us of being exclusive, we can say, look, all are welcome here. Let me show you who this Jesus is. Let me tell you why he matters, what he's done, what he's still doing, and what he's promised to do in the future. Because he is the one whose eyes are like fire. He's seeking out and searching those who need him, saying, let me be everything for you. As we close today, I want to ask you this question. This Christmas season, as we celebrate with hope, who in your life needs to know that he's the only way and that he has a lot to give to them through you? Will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your love. We thank you that you are not exclusive but inclusive, that you are the only way, the only truth, and the only life. But in you, Lord, all people are welcome. We thank you that Ahab was spared from this judgment because he turned back to you. The worst of the worst, and you said, I will spare you and show you grace. God, may we be people who show your grace to those who are the worst of the worst. May we be people who help love others as you have loved us, who help others see your love in us. And may we boldly share the good news of who you are, that you are for us and not against us. Unlike every other God, you have given everything to win us back. May we trust in this promise and live our faith as those who love you, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.